Well, I really appreciate Jay a couple weeks ago preaching through James and Joe last week. You guys are just just faithfully taught through those passages, uh, so encouraged that the church does not rest on me. Uh, the church should not rest on one person. And it's nice knowing that I can take a break and, uh, and the Word of God can go forward. It doesn't need me. And so um, just so encouraged by um, what the Lord's doing here, raising up young men, young women. Um, and Joe, I'll put you in that young men group, okay? So just uh, that, that God's just doing, he's just raising up a group of young men and women who um, hunger for his word, want to see people get saved. And so uh, just it's fun to be a part of this church. Uh, this morning, I have the privilege of teaching... Um, a challenging passage in James. If there is a challenging passage in James, uh, it, it, it would be this one. This is the one, if you remember when we started this series several weeks ago, um, when I was given like a big overview. This is, this is the passage where Martin Luther, uh, he had problems with. The great ref, um, reformer, <coughs> Martin Luther, uh, this was the chunk of scripture that uh, was the reason why when he was battling what he was battling with the Catholic Church in this table of contents in the front of his Bible he just, mo- he just put a line through James the epistle of James and put the epistle of straw it's this passage that we're working through this morning uh, he thought that this was it just didn't carry any weight it would burn up um, that it wasn't long lasting and with what he was battling um, with the Catholic Church, and, and so today, people, when, when they start to um, critique the Bible, this is one of the passages where they'll say, see, the Bible has errors. What Paul says and what James says contradict each other, and so we have to deal with this today. This is a difficult passage, but um, as difficult it is for me to, to, to with the nuances of it, the, it it's, it's a very, it's a horrifying passage of, of uh, what it means um, for us. Um, James, a lot of what James writes about, he, you see coming from um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And James writes something in this passage today that it should horrify us. It should scare us in some sense. It should at least cause us to hold a mirror up to ourselves and just examine ourselves. Who, who are we? And um, one of the scariest passages in the Bible is from, uh, is from um, uh, Matthew chapter 7. And so as we look today, we're going to look at the, the title of the day would be Dead Faith. And so Dead Faith, um, it's this idea that comes from James 2, 14 through 26. And I think James, uh, in, in, in verse 17 goes back to Matthew 7. So let's look at this together in Matthew 7. This is Jesus speaking. And in Matthew 7, he writes this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to, to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We need to understand the, 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 um, 
the depth and uh, um, um, scariness of, 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 of this truth this morning. That there's going to come a day where people who are going to be excited to go see the Lord, and when they get to see Him, it's going to be the worst day of their life. It's going to be eye-opening for them. They're going to be shocked because they, they've been doing things, they've been prophesying in His name, doing mighty works in His name. And he's going to look at them and he's going to say, I don't know who you are. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so what James wants us to see, and we'll do two points this morning. Point one would be fruitless faith is not saving faith. Fruitless faith is not saving faith. Let me pray for us this morning as we walk through God's word. Father, I pray this morning that you would... Um, Open up our eyes to see the truth of this passage. I pray that you would be gracious to us to allow us to see where we fit into this story. That we would be able to hold a mirror up to ourselves and, and uh, see if we would be one of those people. That we've just been doing a lot of things on our own merit, but we've never um, given our lives to you. So Lord, today I pray that uh, you'd show us your mercy, that you would uh, allow our hearts to be convicted of sin, and that we would leave this place changed. Lord, please speak through me and my, my limitations that I had sin in my life, uh, that, uh, that limit me, um, my vocabulary limits me from sharing um, a clear gospel, and I pray that you would overcome those, Lord, that, that, uh, that you would speak to your people this morning, that we would hear from you, that we would know that we have a God who speaks, that you love your children, that you want us to obey and follow hard after you, and so that's what we're after this morning, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So James, he, he gives us this, this chunk we've been walking through. Uh, like when Jay preached, it was all about the tongue and how we speak and how we um, take care of orphans and widows, those who are in need. And Joe followed that up with, with the idea of showing favoritism, um, that, that we are... We are supposed to treat everyone with kindness and, and treat people with uh, respect and that they all have value. And then he comes here to this passage and it seems like he's speaking to a group that, uh, that, that just, they're just so willing just to say, hey, I'm a, I'm, I believe in God. And there's no sign of any works, any fruit. And James says, then it's not saving faith. That you have to have some kind of fruit in your life. You can't just say, hey, I'm a Christian. And today, this is, this is a great passage for our culture in America. Uh, you ask most people, and they would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But their life does not reflect the life that Jesus would want them to live. And let me just make sure we're all, we all understand that none of us can live up to that, Right? We're all on that page. None of us are perfect. We know that. But yet, when we mess up, we at least as Christians say that we mess up. 
that we are quick to repent and say, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have done that, and that we reconcile with one another. James is going after the people, though, that just say, hey, I'm a Christian, and then go and do and live however they want, and never look at the Bible as the way that they should be living. And so this, for us, this is everything. And so James is saying to us, in verses 14 through 16, that fruitless faith is not saving faith. Let's read that together. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So James gives us this picture. Previously, if we just keep this in context, that, that we see those that are in Christ should be doing things, should be helping, should be taking care of others. And here's this example of, of a brother. This is a, a Christian, someone in the family of God that is in need. They, have, they need clothes, they need food. And they come to you, and you say, oh, it's, go in peace, be warmed and filled. This is like the, oh, well, we'll be praying for you. Oh, I hate hearing that. Well, I'm sure things will work out. James is saying, what in the world are you doing? This person is in need, and God has given you an opportunity to serve them, and you just walk right by them, you show no sense of compassion. Let me just make sure we all see this. This is, this is not like the one on the street holding a sign. I know you guys, you may struggle as I do when you see the sign, and you may think, oh, well, do we really need to help them? Is this a scam? Let's just get that out of the way. We'll, come, we'll, we'll deal with that in a minute. This is not that kind of situation. This is a brother or sister in the church who has a need. And you're so hardened where you won't help them. Now, the one who has the sign that we've all encountered, um, I think I mentioned to you guys recently, uh, last year we were going through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 13 is the passage that talks about... Um, that we should show kindness to other people, that you might even be entertaining angels, that you're, that you're not even aware that they're an angel. I preached that sermon here that day. Xavier, my oldest son, and I, we walk out of the church. Kid you not, we're like the last two we're locking up, and there's a guy that just walks right over to us and says, hey, can you help me? I just preached that passage. And the Holy Spirit just says, of, of course, of course you're going to help this guy. He might be an angel. And so Xavier and I, we start to help this guy who has a very similar story that a lot of you have heard from a lot of other people. Uh, his car was on this adjacent parking lot. It was broke down, or not broke down, it was out of gas. And he just wanted me to take him to Sheets. Um, 
and uh, hindsight, now I'm, how does he know he's, that there's a sheets there? He was actually from Boston, uh, and his child was in Cabo Huntington needing surgery, and was headed to Sheets, car ran out of gas right over there, and just needed to get me to, just needed to get the Sheets, and so I said, sure, we'll get you the Sheets. Um, he, he already had somebody there to get him gas. So on the way to Sheets, the story began to change, uh, and um, time we got to Sheets, which was just, you know, two blocks from here, uh, he, the guy that was you know, these stories begin to just jumble together and, uh, and, and end up he, he needed me to buy him some gas. So I was going to go buy him gas in sheets, um, but he didn't want me to buy him gas. Now he wanted money for gas. And so, you know, you start asking questions and realize that, uh, you know, sometimes you start asking questions, those stories, these people do lie to us. That's not what this is about. This is someone in our church who's hurting who's in need, and, and, and our heart is just not moved. And James is saying, man, if the Lord has rescued you, if the Lord has shown you mercy, we also need to show mercy. The same, um, so I started this morning with Matthew 7, where Jesus says, um, some of you, I don't know you. Right before that, he says this in Matthew 7. He says, you will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs, thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. So Jesus is talking about Christians. Those who follow Jesus should bear good fruit. In fact, he says there's no way that you can't. It's like a good tree has no choice but to bear good fruit. Just as a bad tree has no choice but to bear bad fruit. As a Christian, you don't have a choice. You will bear fruit. Galatians 6 reminds us that it's the fruit of the Spirit. And so if the Spirit is in you, you are going to bear his fruit. It's his spirit alive working in us. And so you're going to be changed. You're not going to be the same person that you used to be. Maybe at once you weren't very kind and merciful and wanted to help people. But now, as a follower of Christ, you have been changed and shown mercy. You have no choice but to show mercy and kindness. Kindness is a fruit of the spirit. And as a Christian, you have to show kindness. It's not a choice. You don't get to pick and choose which fruit of the Spirit you want to, to, uh, to bear. It's the fruit of the Spirit. He's at work in you to change you, to make you a different person than you used to be. And James is saying here that a fruitless faith is not saving faith. And so he's challenging this easy believism that we have in our country where people would just say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And James is saying, man, but you have no fruit. Your life looks no different from the person who doesn't claim Christ. 
And so James is challenging this. And you can think about the context of this. James is writing to a Jewish group of people who are now scattered out because of persecution. They're leaving this Jewish community. They're no longer in Israel. And so as they walked, you know, they would go to a different place and, and where they would say, I'm a Jew in Israel, that meant something. Now being a Jew somewhere else, nobody cared. It, it, wasn't, it didn't mean anything to say, I'm a Jew. They, they wanted to see what it meant to be a Jew. Likewise, in our culture, it doesn't mean anything just to say, hey, I'm a Christian. Your co-worker, your um, neighbor, your um, classmates, they, they, they want to see that you're a Christian. Don't just say that you're a Christian. Show me. There's got to be some kind of fruit evident in your life. And that we've got to hold the mirror up to ourselves this morning. And Are we bearing any fruit? And if we're not, then maybe we don't have a saving faith. 1 John 3.17 But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? We've got to be a different kind of people. There are a lot of people who throw, um, who do like kids camps. Uh, there are a lot of people, there's a lot of humanitarians that are doing good work. What separates us? What separates us is that our good works is tied to the gospel. That it's not just good works uh, apart from Christ. It's good works tied to Christ. And this is where it's really hard, and even in the church. And, and I know as we work through this passage, there's going to be two groups here this morning. There's going to be a group of you that you're going to get convicted at this because you want to work harder and you think you don't do enough now for God. So you feel like you've got to pay it off and I know this passage is going to challenge some of you. There's another group of you, you're not going to struggle with that. You're going to, you're going to struggle with this other idea of, of just having the right theology and, and, and this idea of saying... Um, saying the right things and, and um, have this facade of fruit. And so this is the tricky part, the fruit. Is you remember when Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness? There were people who, who from their perspective were doing things in his name. And, and so there's a group, so there's, there's part of you that, you, you want to work your way to God, and then there's another part of you. You just have like this fake facade, like church for you is a facade. Uh, doing good works can even be fake fruit. And so it comes down to your motive. I can see church attendance. I can see like if you volunteer for the kids camp or if you go knocking on doors. But what I can't see is your heart. What's behind the motive for you doing those things? And so there's two groups here this morning, and, and it's challenging. 
Uh, and you're going to have to discern where you are. And so the first truth we see from this passage is that fruitless faith is not saving faith. The second truth we see is, is that possessing perfect theology is not saving faith. Possessing perfect theology is not saving faith. Some of you, you already maybe want to push back on me. Because you think, well, if you have the right theology, wouldn't that be good enough? That you know all the isms, and you read the right books. James is showing us here that possessing perfect theology might not be good enough for you to be saved. Let's read that, verse 18 and 19. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. All right, so James gives us two examples of two different people here. One, here he's saying, this person, he's saying, you have faith and I have works. So he's having this conversation with this person. That this person says that they have faith, and James is saying, well, I have works. He says, show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. So this would be like the philanthropist, the humanitarian, that's doing a lot of works. Um, or has a, he has a lot of works, but no faith. James is saying here, like this demon, he has faith faith, but does not have works. So let's reconcile this. So this is where I am arguing that James is saying that, that you can have perfect theology, and this perfect theology isn't good enough to save you. Because here this demon, he's saying, James is making this argument that the demons even believe that God is one. Now this was such an important theology for the Jews, that they had one God. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 is this, uh, the Jews would call it the Shema. Deuteronomy 6 is, 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 Shema means listen, hear. And it's a very important passage for the Jews. It talks about that there is one God in Israel. And, and so here this demon, uh, James is arguing that this demon could believe in the Shema, one of the most important doctrines that the Jewish people held to. And it wouldn't be good enough to save this demon. Um, that you think about uh, who the demons were. That demons are fallen angels. They've rebelled against God. Satan being their chief leader. And demons have great theology. You ask a demon, um, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? They'd say, sure. Do you believe the Bible is true? Yeah, absolutely it's true. Uh, do you believe that, um, that there's a hell? Yeah, I believe in it. They, they, would, they would affirm all of those questions, but yet they're not going to be in heaven. So it's not about knowledge. And what scares me is right now there's a lot of people in the church that they love to study all the ologies. And, and, and you know, Listen to all the podcasts from all the great preachers today. But there's no saving faith inside them. 
It's just a lot of knowledge like the demons would have. There's got to be some kind of works alongside of your faith. That's what James is arguing. And so he, he gives these, this example of, of this man who, um, who has faith apart from works and this demon. And then he raises a question in verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And then he gives us two more examples from the Old Testament. Uh, he gives us, in verses 21 and um, verse 25, he gives us Abraham and Rahab to give us an example of this. And you can't find two people probably from the Old Testament uh, that have different lives. They're so polarizing. You think about Abraham, um, Jewish man, uh, Rahab was a Gentile woman, Abraham was wealthy, Rahab was poor, Abraham, he was the patriarch, he was the father, Rahab, she was a prostitute, and yet James uses both of them, and I just want you to see how encouraging that is, that, that no matter what your past is this morning, that you both can be an example of faith. Uh, that you can be like them, an example of faith. So let's look at this together. And this is where Martin Luther begins to struggle with the book of James. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? When he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? So Martin Luther, his whole challenge against the Catholic Church was the, the five solas. And, 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 you know, the big one was by grace alone. And here, no, it's, he hears this, by, you're justified by works. And he's saying, Abraham, our father was justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was active along with his work, and faith was completed by his work. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. So here's Abraham, he was a friend of God. This, this is uh, coming from Genesis chapter 15. Abraham was 85 years of age in Genesis 15. He had no children. God made a covenant with him. When he was 85, and he said, Abraham, I, I, I'm counting your, your belief as righteousness. And I'm going to make a covenant with you. You're going to be the father of many children. Go out and look at all the stars. You'll never be able to count all, all the stars. That's the same way your children. You'll never be able to count them all. He was 85 when that happened. Fast forward almost 30 years. And he has Abraham, or excuse me, Abraham has Isaac. He's 100 now. This is Genesis 22. And God tells him something strange. So he, he tells him at 85, you're going to have this child, this promised child is going to be um, the, the child of, um, uh, of the promise. And um, it took another um, 15 years for that to happen. Um, 
And then God comes to him and says, I want you to sacrifice that child. I want you to put yourself in that situation. You're 85, you've been wanting kids for a while. 85, you're not thinking about having children, right? You're thinking about just retirement, how to just stay alive, health care, I don't know. Um, and God says to him, I'm going to give you a child. Now, there's 15 years you're waiting, and God gives you that child. I would think you would cling to that child. You would, you would do everything you could for that child's safety. And God says to you, now I want you to sacrifice that child. In Abraham, from Genesis, we don't see this, but in, in Hebrews chapter 11, we see that Abraham went to sacrifice him that day because he believed that even after he sacrificed him, that God would raise him from the dead. That he just trusted God. That he had faith. But yet we see that it wasn't just like, yeah, Lord, I'll, I believe in you, I trust in you. He was showing us by his works. He was going to do it. He was going to stab his son. And right at the last moment, God says, stop. Don't do it. And God provided a sacrifice for Abraham. God said, don't, don't kill Isaac. I wanted to see if you would do it. Now I know that you would. I think it was really a test for Abraham. And God provided a ram for him that day so he could sacrifice that ram instead of his son. And God counted him as righteous. I'm going to skip verse 24 and come, to back, come back to it. And we're going to go to the second example of Rahab in verse 25. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Rahab's story is fascinating one. This is Judges 1 and 2. Uh, the Israelites are now, they're out of Egypt, and uh, God had given them this land to, to possess, and uh, Moses had just died. God was giving um, uh, the, the land to, um, or the leadership to Joshua, and Joshua, um, sorry, Joshua 1 and 2, you, you see this story of Rahab, not, not Judges, and, and so in Joshua the spies were going into the land, um, to Jericho, and Rahab lived there. And the spies came in, and she knew who they were, that they were Jews. And she saw them and uh, knew that they, they were in danger of being killed, and so she hid them in her room. Uh, sometimes people say that Rahab was honored because she lied about uh, hiding them, uh, She's not honored for hiding or for lying. She's honored for her faith that she believed that the God of the Jews was the one true God. And so she was protecting these Jewish spies. Willing, she's willing, like if, if they would have found out she was hiding those spies, she would have died for hiding them. And she was willing to risk her life um, for, for the, uh, the God of the Jews. And here... James uses Abraham and Rahab as an example of 
people of faith. And so he brings up this idea of being justified by works. And in verse 24, this is just a difficult verse. It says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. This is where Martin Luther and many others um, have struggled with the book of James. Um, in fact, there's a part of Martin Luther where he's journaling. He says that he almost felt like throwing Jimmy in the stove. <laughs> it's kind of interesting that Martin Luther, like, I, I don't think of him as being funny uh, to call James Jimmy. <laughs> but he says, I'd like to just throw Jimmy in the stove because I don't get verse 24. This is what Martin Luther struggled with, and I, I still think we struggle with today when we come to the book of James. Um, and, and so Jan, uh, Martin Luther loved the book of Romans. It was Romans that stirred his heart, that made him come alive in Romans 1. Um, and there's a couple verses um, uh, from Paul's letters that Martin Luther really just went to battle with against the Catholic Church. And here are the two, Romans 3.28 and Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Romans 3.8 says, For we hold that one is justified um, by faith apart from the works of the law. All right, you get that? We, for we hold that, that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. James 24, 2.24 says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been uh, saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so no one may boast. How in the world do we reconcile all of this? We have to understand that what Martin Luther was dealing with in his day and age, battling the Catholic Church, was different than what James was battling with. Um, what, what um, Paul is writing about in Romans and Ephesians, this is not to a religious audience. He's writing to a Gentile audience in Rome and in Ephesus that are trying to work, do good things. Think about every other religion. Every other religion says, do enough good and you'll get there. And so Paul was writing from a pagan Roman world in Ephesus it was a lot of idols um, do these sacrifices and you'll be good with God do it you know burn this um, offering and God will be on your side so Paul was writing to that audience and he's saying listen it's not about how much good you do you can do all the good you want and it's meaningless You've got to have a changed heart. James is writing to a group of Jews, very religious. Much a lot, a lot similar to what like, uh, Martin Luther was going against with the Catholic Church. Um, very, very religious. You know, um, these are the things that I say, but this might not be what I do. And this is the best way to understand the, the, the tension here in this, is that James and Paul aren't fighting against each other. Uh, it's not like thinking of two men with swords going at it against each other. 
Think of it with their backs, back to back, fighting against two different enemies. And so Paul is fighting against all of the people over here that's saying, I can be good enough. And there's some of you in this room that you still struggle with that. That you still think, like, I just got to do more for God. That God is not going to love me. I've done so many bad things. There's no way God can love me until I do enough good. And so Paul's fighting against that kind of audience. James is over here fighting against the people that's saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but, man, you just live like the world. You do whatever you want, your life looks no different than the lost neighbor. And James is fighting against you, saying, faith without works is dead. And this idea of justification, justification is this word, it's a, it's a legal term, it just means that you're, that, that you're um, being made right, that it's a declaration where God says that you are, you are good to go, you have righteousness. And so when God comes into your heart, at that moment you're righteous, but then we show our righteousness by how we live. And so this is what James is saying, that, that if you have faith, works is going to accompany it. That, that, that you just can't say you have faith but not have works. If that's the case, then you never had faith. And for those of you here this morning that think that I just, you said a prayer at some point, but there's no fruit along with that prayer, there's a really good chance you're not saved. That you need to hold a mirror up to yourself today and examine your heart. Are you saved? Or are you no different than a demon? They would say that they would believe in Jesus. This idea that I believe in God, it's more than just a head knowledge. This is an issue of trust, that you've put your trust in God. That you surrendered your life to Him. The demons would never surrender. That's why they were kicked out of heaven. They wanted to be more than God. Salvation starts with you surrendering your agenda, your way, and saying, God, I give up. I need your help. That's where salvation starts. And if that's true salvation that you receive, then the Holy Spirit lives inside you and he begins to change you in, in, in things that you didn't want to do. Maybe you used to love money. Maybe you used to steal things. There's no greater satisfaction for me than when my heart wants to give something away because for me, I used to steal a lot. And now when, when I find like I only have one left and I want to give it away, that's when I know that God's doing something in my heart because years ago, I wouldn't have wanted to do that. I'd want two of them. And so when you surrender and the Holy Spirit comes in your life, you begin to be changed. And, and, and works, fruit, will accompany your faith. Where do we see the gospel in this? This is one of the things that people struggle with James. Is It, it seems like it's all about works and this is another checklist of do, 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 do. And, 
I want you to clearly see the gospel here. This is beautiful. See, we are called the family of God. And in verse 15, there's this beautiful picture here. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says of them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? This is where the gospel is in this. This should be so much easier for us to do because we're, we're family. We're brothers and sisters. And we have a chance at the end of the service to welcome a couple new brothers and sisters into our family. And we get to recognize some new members today. Uh, and, and so uh, that's exciting for us. This should be easy for us to do. But understand what God does. God welcomes enemies in. It should be easy for us to take care of one of us because we're family. God welcomes in his enemy. See, God looks at people who are poorly clothed, an enemy who's poorly clothed, and an enemy who's lacking in daily food, and where if you were in battle and your enemy is lacking, you would say, good. Because the weaker he is, the easier it is to win that battle if you were in war. You don't want your enemies to be well-fed. You want your enemies to run out of rations. God looks at us as enemies, right? That's what Romans says, that we were, that we were all enemies of God. And he looks at us, and he provides clothing and food for us. Luke 12, 28 says this, But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the fields today, and the morrow is thrown into the oven... How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Also, we see in Revelation 19 that God puts these clothings of righteousness on you. John 6, 3, uh, 35 says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. While we were still enemies, Jesus came as the bread of life and says, come and eat from me and you'll never be hungry. I am also the living water. Come and drink and you'll never be thirsty ever again. Jesus extends this treatment, this kind of mercy to enemies. And we've all benefited from it. I was an enemy of God and he, he clothed me. He said, I'm going to make you righteous. Look at you. Wow, you're beautiful. I don't see all the filth that you used to be. I'm making you something new. And he closes me with robes of righteousness. And then he, he gives me food and, and drink to where I'm, I'm no longer hungry and thirsty. All my needs have been met in Christ. And he offered that to me while I was an enemy. I wasn't good enough. It wasn't that I was doing enough good things. And he finally said, oh yeah, you're finally good enough. Now come with me. He met me where I was as an enemy. And that's what he extends to all of you today. And now I, know, I look around the room. I know many of you. I know a lot of your stories that you've repented of, of your sin, that you've trusted in Christ. And now because the gospel has changed you, Jesus is saying, now go and show that mercy to others. But at least show it inside here and inside the walls to your church family, that's the minimum. 
It's a requirement as a brother and sister, you should show mercy to others as you have been shown mercy. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We're going to keep singing about this mercy and grace that God has been so kind to show us. If you have any questions or just want me to pray with you this morning, if you want to know how to be saved, I'm just going to be right back here in this corner during the songs. I would love to pray with you this morning. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, I pray that you would show us in our hearts right now things that we need to change. Whether we're trying to just be good enough, that you would show us that, that, that we're never going to be good enough, that we've got to surrender. But Lord, I pray also that you show us that maybe um, we think that we just know the right things and we've said the right things, but there's no fruit in our lives. I pray that you'd break us. That, that you would convict us of our, of our, just of our unbelief. And it's not going to be what family we come from or uh, what books we've read. That's not saving faith. Saving faith is coming to you humbly, asking for help to be saved. That we need you to rescue us. If that's you this morning and you just want to talk, or if you just need prayer, then find whoever invited you. Come pray with me this morning. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd work in our hearts this morning. Help us to be a changed people, that we would not just be People that say we have faith but don't have works, I pray that people in this city would know us um, by our works. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.